Hello, everybody, and welcome to the debut episode of Aiga Night, two amateur film scholars journey through the wonderful and wild world of Japanese cinema. I am your co-host, Chris Lucy Antonio, and join with me, as always, is Aruba Kershid, who actually pronounces Aiga Night, though, kind of correctly, unless, you know... Okay, now you're just rubbing it in my face. <laughs> I mean... Do you want to start tensions eh... on the first episode? I mean, they got they got to know our dynamic right now, Chris. They got to know the dynamic right now. All right, all right. And yeah, uh, Ruba, I guess we are finally doing this. We're turning our passion for Japanese cinema into something productive for once. Yeah, I mean, I don't know who the heck is going to actually listen to this, but, the, but at the very least, we can kind of screw around with some academic freedom here, so... Exactly, we don't have yeah. to have the grades just held over us in the future just kind of like looming there but we can just actually be free <laughs> and lean into our love here no essay grades on grammar professors <laughs> exactly so i guess we should just go into uh who we are and why we think we're qualified we're not we're not qualified at all <laughs> we really are not <laughs> uh we are two university graduates uh who have film degrees uh film studies degrees and we have cultivated lifelong uh loves of japanese cinema in all its forms and just really want to spread the gospel exactly and we personally think that by allowing ourselves to really kind of enhance uh, our opportunity our opportunities to grow for example chris is going into uh his master's program at york and meanwhile i do want to pursue my phd at some point before the age of 50 in this field yeah that'd be nice so this would be a nice you know startup for us exactly it's just a way to get all all this like all, all this enthusiasm out of our system before we have to really get beaten down by the academic world. Exactly. And plus, our friends keep telling us to STFU maybe 40 times a day whenever we talk about this crap. So might as well have a platform where we're not told STFU to our face. Exactly. They will learn that they are the wrong ones. <laughs> yes. You can say STFU all you want at the recording. It ain't going to stop us. Yeah, because you are a, on a weird note swearing thing where you want to keep us clean. I mean, more power to, like, I, I, I believe in the Japanese art form of discipline. <laughs> okay, okay, hold on, hold on. You know what? Let's get into the movie we're talking about today. Yeah, before we go uh, into, like, Japanese culture and whatnot, but, um... It, hopefully it would oh, all come do, up, Oh, but... do you want to talk about our, like, Japanese credentials? I am a fan, that's my credential. Indeed, and how long have you been a fan for, Chris? Oh, since like the tender age of 14, I'd say, when I f saw my first Japanese film, uh, which I believe at the time was Rashomon, and had my oh. mind absolutely blown by what films could be when viewed through another like culture's lens like that. Right. That's amazing. I actually, I haven't seen Rashomon. Oh, it's going to come up on the podcast. It will. So. Now I will. Now I will be. Um, I, on the other hand, I have been in love with Japanese culture since maybe the age of six. Um, I have actually been studying Japanese for about 15 years, almost 16 now. Um, so it is one of the languages I am actually fluent in, uh, which, side note, is a lot. <laughs> um, and I actually became fluent in Japanese because of my love for Japanese media. It did start with Dragon Ball, I will admit. I mean, you admit, gotta start but, somewhere. Uh, and, like, that's a great place you, to come You in. do gotta start. Exactly. It did. I mean, if if not for the love of Dragon Ball, I would not be where I am today, and I would not have this whole array of media, Japanese media, under my 
uh, brain, if that makes sense. Like, now I have enjoyed so much Japanese media thanks to uh, the development of learning the language that I feel whole. I don't feel suicidal. <laughs> we we have we have to start somewhere with this kind of love because we all have our entry points into the culture and into the medium or into the uh, style of film that we are talking about and then if it really clicks with us we just keep going along that line and seeing where it takes us like now i am searching these uh websites posting these raw japanese movies that people in japan are just ripping from the theaters and i can't understand a word of it but hey i'm still watching them right it, and it, you don't even have to understand like, at, you don't even have to understand at first. It's all about consistency, it's all about passion, and it's all about enjoying it. Exactly. So, I think without further ado, I will set the stage for the episode today and the uh, subject matter. Please do. At the dawn of the millennium. Oh, dear God. <laughs> civilization collapsed. At 15% unemployment. Um. A million were out of work. 800,000 students boycotted school the adults lost confidence and fearing the youth eventually passed the millennium educational reform act five <laughs> but you know it's better known as uh, that uh, battle royale uh yes today we are discussing 2000's battle royale directed by kinji fukusaku based on the novel by koshin takami or Thank... takami koshin that was released a year earlier aruba Yes. Can you remember the first time that you saw Battle Royale? I do. So, actually, I did end up reading the book first before anything. Yes, you are a purist when it comes to that. You always try <laughs> to read the novel or uh, source material first, right? N most of the time, yes. Um, unless the, uh, the movie has quite a bit of reviews. But I did end up reading... Battle Royale was actually the first novel I read in Japanese. Uh, completely in Japanese. And that was kind of my graduating moment. Like, oh, look! I can do this now, but I also read it in English, you know, because it's my first language and I really fully wanted to understand it as well. So, um, I actually bought the Hunger Games, uh, well, I bought the Hunger Games novels with it because this was around the time where Hunger Games was coming out and I was like, um, I'm pretty sure there's this, uh, there's a story that's exactly the same concept in Japanese, right? So and we, we might get into that later. That's a controversial topic of yeah. who came out first, who ripped off who, and it's a it's a whole mess that people are really passionate about for some reason. And, but it's quite obvious. Yeah, and I just really want to like stick with the film here, uh, talking yeah. about it, and not give a, uh, young adult literature any more spotlight than it needs. Exactly, but the book itself is it is a masterpiece. It, it um twisted my soul I felt I, like I could not put this down I was reading it on the bus I was reading it in school I was reading it everywhere and it really brought out like some psychological questions that I would never have thought of while reading now of course with the um because it takes maybe a couple weeks to read a novel and it only takes about two hours to watch the film obviously when I watched the film right after reading the book I was a little underwhelmed and this was back in 2010, so I was, I'm not going to say my age, but <laughs> I was i was younger than what I am now. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like, that's a <laughs> lens that we really shouldn't be seeing the film through of, like, how did the adaptation hold up? Because it's a different yeah. medium that we're getting into. Exactly. And that, and that really brought up um, 
that that's what I was really thinking about when I rewatched it now back in, at now in 2018 because now a lot of my knowledge from the book is I'm now detached from the book and I'm able to appreciate the actual film for as a film itself because you know what a film whole, it is yeah it, it, it still it, it was still able to twist my emotions get me attached to certain students get me attached to their backstories it just had to be condensed. It's only two hours long, right? So it's well, a the... it's a very tight thriller. Yeah, they yeah. use every minute to their advantage because they have a lot to cover. And uh, now, Chris, were you watching the special edition? I was, yeah, because that's the only okay. one that's really widely available. Yes. Okay. So we both watched the same edition. So um, I'm assuming for the t- three uh, theatrical release that a lot had been cut out at first. Um, Actually, uh, with the theatrical release, uh, when it was first put into theaters, uh, it was taken out soon after for additional scenes to be filmed for it. Yeah, to add some backstory because a lot of it wasn't playing on screen as they had. You know, we we should probably describe the plot of Battle Royale for those not in the know. Uh, So it takes place in a dystopic vision of Japan where, if you can't tell from the intro text, uh, things aren't going great. Mm -hmm. Uh, And... The idea is there is the Battle Royale Act, which every year uh, a class of students is uprooted and placed in an isolated location, usually on an island, to battle to the death. Yeah, and their only way of surviving is to basically kill the F out of each other. Yeah, because there's like a three-day waiting period on the idea of the, the game, and if there's not one person left standing by the end of those three days it's uh their collars around these uh, students necks they detonate so no one's a winner and just from that description alone you can tell this this movie kind of writes itself it does indeed and paired with the graphics paired with what i like to call the kill choreography i'm a dancer i'm just going to refer to choreography um and it makes paired... it sound much classier than it is i mean in a way it's choreography i'd like to say but it and also paired with um like really provocative and taboo subjects you know the film it's the film is able to like twist you like you're able to enjoy the film on its own without having read the book but um the book itself is also that kind of a masterpiece as well where you can enjoy it separate from the film you will know what happens but you'll you'll be still be able to enjoy it because it delves a little bit deeper into each every single student's backstory a little bit more, uh, more so yeah and we, we should like uh, talk about that right away uh the thing about this film is it has 42 main characters well not main characters but characters to keep track of they are all important to the plot because unless ev- every single one of these students uh 21 men 21 female are taken care of then the plot can't happen and they would all die so it is a thriller that with the circumstances, puts all of these characters together, jumbles them together, and says, survive on this island. Right. It's a little bit easier to keep track of these students in the book as well, just because we have a, I have the book right here, we have a student uh, list at the very beginning, and then, like the movie, there's also a kill count in between every scene. So at the end of every chapter, we have 42 students remaining, you know, 38 students remaining. It tells us how many uh, students we're able to cross off this list as well. 
that's the, that's the amazing thing about this movie is how it gets you to feel like like you were saying it gets you to feel for every one of these students they're not just uh, a number they're not just a count they have a name they have a trajectory they have a story and the way that uh fukusaka the director gets you to care for them especially with that text on screen where it shows the countdown of, of all, all the deaths mm -hmm. like th that's a holdover from his earlier career in yakuza films he would use the same thing uh just uh mm -hmm tertiary text on screen to show you uh characters rank their affiliation and things okay so yeah like he's using that to great effect to get you to care about these students without really needing to have a background because you know as like you're gleefully watching them get cut down murdered gunned down they have a name they have a number and they have a life attached to them and that's really effective now with you watching um fukusaku's previous works i actually have not um what, did he use the same um, kind of dialogue on text, kind of, uh, split, not split screen, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, like, the dialogue on, on the screen for, like, for the most important pieces of dialogue. Um, for us to, like, for example, I have one here, can you really kill me with that gun? And the dialogue is displayed in traditional Japanese text on the screen. Did he ever do that in um, his other films as well, or? There are some experiments here and there with working with uh, text on screen, like I was saying, uh, not just uh, for plot details and uh, things of that nature, but he does have like those kind of stylistic uh, title cards here or there, uh, just to like really experiment with, uh, because throughout his career, like uh, back in the 1960s when he really came to prominence, uh, working at Toei, making these uh, uh, Ninkyo Aiga, the very casual yakuza genre films ega bro ega sorry <laughs> i'll get it eventually ega <laughs> i only ever read it in textbooks god my bad <laughs> <laughs> so yeah but working in that uh, atmosphere he was allowed to experiment a lot so you see uh, a lot of these radical ideas and interesting ways of approaching filmmaking that were afforded to him at that stage so yeah there are instances like throughout his career like uh, we said, we're, like I said before we started recording, like Battle Royale as is his last film. Yeah. This was an 80-year-old director doing a film about middle school children and just nailing it completely. Their psychology, their the way they would react to the scenario. Uh, the script itself comes from his, uh, is a collaboration with his son, Kenta Fukusaku, who was mm -hmm. obviously younger. But just that idea for like an 80-year-old just to get yeah. kids this hard. Like, that's, mm -hmm. that's incredible alone. Now, I was shocked when you told me this was his last film and that he had, like, he, he had prominence in the 60s. Now, he's, he's back here 40 years later, not only attempting a film about middle school students, but he has a diverse female cast, which he's able to um, kind of bring that kind of badassery in Yakuza films within them as well. Oh, yeah, like a... Uh... We'll get into the characters, obviously, but uh, mm -hmm. Mitsuko, Mitsuko would not be out of place in one of the Yakuza films that he made in the 60s uh, as like a, I guess like at that time it would be a prostitute character. But yeah, mm -hmm. he he brought a lot to this, considering like his pedigree and the 40 years between uh, essentially starting the Yakuza genre back in the 60s with films like Battles Without Honor and Humility, um, Cops vs. Thugs. It, it, I could go on. He was a phenomenal director. And Kitano was quite was there for a lot of that as well, was he not? Sorry, who? Kitano. Oh no, uh, he wasn't there in with him. The reason why, like, uh, 
we should say Takeshi Kitano, uh, director, actor, superstar, uh, Japanese personality. Having forever. the character. <laughs> having Name. basically basically giving that facilitator character an actual story, which the book um, kind of failed to do. <laughs> exactly. But he's essentially just playing Takeshi Kitano. Yes, he really uh, is. Yeah, that came about, uh, because we should get into it, uh, this was after the fact of uh, the collapse of the studio system, and films weren't getting made unless they had a big star vehicle attached. If they were a big star vehicle, they had like a big name attached to it. Mm-hmm. And Katana was that name because uh, Fukasaka and him had a, had like a connection and relationship. Uh, Kinji Fukasaka was originally going to direct... Uh, oh, what's that one film? It's uh, It was Katano's uh, debut feature uh Zatoichi? no not Zatoichi. that was 2003 this okay. was back in 1989 uh probably would not know yeah it'll, Wiki, it'll come to me late wikipedia <laughs> yeah might as well uh yeah but kenji fukasaka was originally supposed to direct that and then because of the illness which eventually claimed his life after the making battle royale he mm-hmm. dropped out and that afforded katano to take over violent cop Violent Cop. I was going to say Outrage Cop, but Outrage is a different thing that he made. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he essentially gave Kitano his directorial debut, and I there's no evidence at all to back this up, but I'd like to imagine that this is Kitano repaying the favor. I'd I like to imagine them as buddies. Aww, little bro-bros. Exactly. That'd be nice, right? I know. Can we just imagine them, like, having little tea parties together and... No. <laughs> I do. Okay. <laughs> Don't ruin that for me. You cannot take that away from me, Chris. Oh, I can take whatever I want. So, yeah, so ah! Kitano, Kitano's in this film uh, as the teacher of the students uh, who was fired, not or who quit, rather, after they continually rebelled against him and slashed his ass open. Yep. And so he returns at, to run the game for the uh, JSDF, the Japanese Self-Defense Force, who is in charge of the whole game. Mm-hmm. And they bring him in as, like, the care caretaker for all these kids, and he just uses it as an opportunity to get back at them. Yeah, basically he behaves like he's the best thing in the world for them, even though he knows he's killing the... Uh, f- fudgery out of them. <laughs> like, he, he knows that they're gonna... Uh, basically beat the fudge out of each other and yet he behaves like this little enthusiastic middle schooler basically he wants he he behaves as if he relates to them but he knows that they're not relating to him in kind of a in kind of an ironic uh like character like it the character choice itself because like the facilitator barely has a role within like once again the book but because of Kitano's star power he's able to create the character of the facilitator just by being him alone. Yeah, he's a, he's such a menacing presence in this because he just shows such a disregard for their safety and well-being, mm-hmm. all while like gleefully go, going th- like through the motions of that role. Uh, because uh, as the role, he's supposed to inform all the students about uh, the safety zones on the island uh, to ensure that they come into contact with the other, each other. The game itself is set up where the island that they're stuck on, every now and then, uh, a danger zone will be. It, put into place where if you're caught in it your collar just explodes yeah and it's chilling because 
he goes ahead and kills one of the students, and he's like, oops, sorry, I wasn't supposed to do that. Whoops. Right away. Right yeah. away. He shows spoiler, that playing spo- around. Spoiler alert, guys, by the no, way. No I spoiler mean, alerts. We are talking about the movie. I know, but, I mean, if you didn't watch it beforehand, your own fault, so. <laughs> he's like the extreme version of a disciplinarian, because he kills uh, the one the one student, uh, whose name I'm blanking on, even though I've got the list in front of me, just because, just because she was talking. Yes. During the information video that they were screening for them. She was he whispering, just... if anything. I didn't hear her. Exactly, yeah. He just stands up and throws a dagger in her forehead just to show that, no, we're not kidding around. You have to kill each other, guys. What was her name? It wasn't Satomi? No. I think Satomi was with Kayako. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> there are 42 of them. It's okay if we don't get them right uh, all the time. Especially, like... And this is where we have our first glimpse of what I like to call the kill choreography, which, um, before I actually get into, can we actually talk about the, uh, under 15 rating? Yes, uh, we should. Uh, when this film was originally released in Japan, it received an R15 from the IRIN, which is the Japanese equivalent of the ratings board here in Canada and United States. Uh, so yeah, you could not go see the film if you were the same age as the people on screen. Yes, that which was ironic. It was a film about them, yet they could not... As a middle schooler, you weren't allowed to see it. Anybody middle school and under, not allowed. Yeah, we're seeing that like uh, even today. Uh, I believe uh, Bo Burnham's 8th grade. Yes. It's, like, it's rated for like you know people who have already graduated from 8th grade. So the people who could, it could connect <laughs> to the most aren't able to see it. Exactly. And... I do think, like, the um, the addition of this rating, because, like, the rating in the beginning of the special edition was quite serious. It had a tone where um, parents were advised to speak about their, like, to speak to their children during the home viewings about the content, which, I mean, in comparison to the content that is released normally in Japan, you know, you would expect this uh, kind of warning to be, com- like, very, very common, but here it was a little bit chilling for me. Yeah, like, even uh, the special edition we watch makes fun of that because it shows the R15 rating and then smashes it in the opening. <laughs> just, to, just to show, like, yeah, we're going there. Yeah. Watch uh, hel- out, bitches! Oh, that's not a swear, right? <laughs> kind of. Uh, but anyway, as a hilarious side note, actually, uh, when he was originally doing the press for Battle Royale after the R15 rating, uh, in a very, like, Spike Lee move, he advised people he during who, the press... He who? He who? Kenji Fukasaka. Okay. Like, uh, during the uh, press conferences, he said, like, hey, kids, if you're listening, sneak into the film. It can really help you. <laughs> oh. Just, just like how uh, Spike Lee, uh, during the promotions for Malcolm X, he told uh, everyone, kids, cut class, go see my movie. You'll learn more there than you're going to learn in school. I mean, right? And it actually, there is a line in the film where there's, I, I believe it's Kawada, who talks about um how he because of this program this um kill every like battle royale program he was able to learn things that he wasn't able to learn in school which is a sad realization yeah. because you don't need to know how to use a shotgun man like well can... he did he was cooking for them like poor little baby boobaloo but... yeah that's, <laughs> that, that's a great uh, running joke though how he keeps saying like yeah my father was a cook or my father was, was a, a doctor. sailor my father was a doctor that's because like yeah like i learn i teach myself but i don't care yeah so 
quite ironic with these uh with this R15 rating, but like I was saying in the beginning, the kill choreography is what kind of brings it all together and you realize, "Oh, I probably uh would have been quite traumatized viewing a lot of this graphicness at 13 to 15 years old." Yeah, it's a very effective uh shock to the senses because he's uh Fukusaka is a very frenetic di- director. This mm. is like a holdover from his Yakuza career where like uh, a lot of this cinematography style handheld uh franticness it was fully on display back then but back then you know he was filming yakuza subplots so it had a more suitable uh subject matter i would say than this film but mm-hmm. at the same time you you feel every kind of kill because it's the way that he shoots it frames it and composes mm. it starting with the teachers we don't see the teacher get killed but we see his nasty body yeah, like, uh, they have, again, going back to that classroom scene, it's like, we have to show these kids that we're not fucking around. We have exactly, to show them. and they, they're even, like, even though the teacher, um, their ninth grade teacher was a very minor character himself, we see a scene where, like, a really subtle scene where he's playing in the back, with, this sounds wrong, playing in the back with the student, he's, he's basically socializing with them in a very normal way, might I, might I, um, mention, socializing with them and he sees the military crew outside the window of the bus and he you could see him look a little uneasy of what's going on why are we here where are we going you know i I i'm pretty sure he was in the know for uh the actual game because you'd have to be uh what they do is uh for people who don't know the game itself the titular battle royale is selected through random lottery where every year a new class would be selected to take part in this game um, but didn't but didn't uh, Kitano say that he wasn't cooperating? Hence, why he was killed. I think well, he was we, we don't fighting know against. Exactly. Right? We don't know exactly when he starts to resist uh, the government's implementation of this game. But mm-hmm. yeah, he tried to protect their students and his students, and he got he paid for it. Oh yeah, stick up for youth. You're gonna get yourself killed. Those nasty youth. Yeah, because that's what this film's about. It shows yeah. you, like like the depths of what kids are capable of, and mm-hmm. when given a dose of reality like this when the exterior pressures of the government start to enclose on them and puts them into the scenario where they can't get out how will they react uh and that's i think we should get into that right now what's so great about this film is Mm -hmm. we have 42 characters yes and we see throughout the film how everyone has a different experience in this game like despite being uh an elderly director at this point he knew how to divide himself with this massive cast with this bolstering Mm -hmm. big idea of a battle royale and where to go with it Mm -hmm. everybody has a different coping mechanism and we're even able to see that in the very very beginning as well when he first kills uh the poor little girl um i'm talking about kidano killing the poor little girl uh we see everybody else run away run towards something i the two little lovebirds who kill who uh, had a shinju or a double suicide yep. later on they're hugging each other they're like we can tell right away okay they want to protect each other they are a couple what's going to happen to them no the narrative is so layered especially in that beginning because uh to send them out into the game uh the video instructor who who is like on the uh wheel and cart video mm-hmm. and might uh, i had she has like the cutesiest anime voice Oh, she is wonderful. While, ex- while explaining something so effing morbid. What, what a tone setter that is. Just oh, like yeah. this this bubbly princess character saying like, hey, you're all going to kill each other. Yay. Yay. Inasan? <laughs> 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 uh, 
皆さんできますか聞こえますかお姉ちゃんが説明します<笑> Like that Am I gonna have to bleep that? <laughs> if, you, if you so need to, Chris. I mean, this But, is our first time. <laughs> so, yeah, like when they're, when they're sending out all the students into the game, you can see like they all react differently when they're getting their packs, which,、uh, with the game, way the game is set up, they are given a pack that has、uh, survival supplies and a random weapon to make sure that the game isn't rigged, so to speak. The original Fortnite, everybody. We'll get into that. I, th- we have to close that with that because I just want to air my frustrations there.、Uh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, like、uh, when they're receiving their packs and sending it out, because Fukusaka is a great director, he shows that like everyone has their own way of expressing themselves.、Uh, Akamatsu, the first one to receive his pack,、uh, mm-hmm. he stumbles over himself. He falls. Screams. Fall- yeah, he like he screams. He's terrified.、Mm-hmm. The next、uh, boy who comes up, he like sh- triumphantly holds his pack above his head. It's like, I've got this. Mm hmm. Uh, we see、uh, one of the girls who's going to commit.、Uh, was it Shinji? Shinju. Shinju.、Yeah. Uh, we see one of them who she throws her pack back at Katano in like an act of defiance. She's like,、uh, F you and F this program. Shogo, he just runs up to the front and then comes back for the proper pack that he was supposed to get because he knows a shotgun's in it.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Kuriyama, just、uh, the villain of the film, essentially, the... casually strolls up to the, to the front, gets his pack, and then just casually strolls away because he's in command here. He, he, he doesn't utter a word of dialogue, yet、um, he's great. He has a、oh, nice face. He is an I... imposing figure. He is like a legendary villain of Japanese cinema, I would go so far to say. I very much appreciate his face and presence in this film. I will say that. He's、um, terrifying. Oh, yeah, terrifying, but at the same time, isn't it just a little cuddly? No, C- no. Cuddly and sexy in, in a way, I, I no. find. <laughs>、uh, no, I mean, like, he is. I mean, he's terrifying, yes, but <laughs> that is hot as hell. Oh, you got a type, <laughs> I understand. I, I, I quite adore、uh, Ando, who plays、um, Kiriyama. Yeah, Kiriyama、uh, is like an outlier to the. Group of 42 students itself, because、uh, him and Shogo are not in the class itself.、Yes. Uh, Shogo was a previous winner of the game who was brought back to rig、uh, mm-hmm. the game itself because the government's corrupt, guys. I don't know if you know that.、Mm-hmm. And Kiriyama is a volunteer, actually. He is a straight, psychopathic, sociopathic monster who says, Yeah, I'll, I'll take part. This sounds like fun. Yay, killing kids! And he does very well. He does extraordinarily well, and it is terrifying. Every time you see his face before he shoots, you could see the,、um, like, you could see the, the soullessness in his eyes. The soullessness、anything. and the glee. Soulne- soullessness, glee, but also, do you remember the final, final scene where they give him white contacts? Yeah, like,、uh, he runs into Shinji's group, who's trying to.、Uh... Who hacked the government's、uh, computer system and are trying to blow up the school where、mm-hmm. Kitano and the、J、SDF is basically just dis- basically destroying any chance of the students having a victory over the government in that moment. Yeah, resistance. Yeah, like、uh, they get too enthusiastic and think that、uh, our main character Shuya is coming to join them. It's actually Kiriyama who guns them down、mm-hmm. quite effortlessly. Oh my gosh, yeah, that. Like causing an, which causes, then causes an explosion, and the layers of fire that we, we now see, we then see a fight between、uh, Kawada and Kiriyama between layers of fire. And you could see the insanity 
in uh, Ando's face when he acts like when he acts out his final battle with Kawada because he basically he knows this is his final like he knows this is the guy he has to kill in order to basically win the program. Yeah, like, and, uh, I, I said it before, these are, like, the anime characters. These are, like, am, mm-hmm. anime archetypes. You have Shogo, who's the super cool hero guy who is overly prepared and completely perfect at everything he does. Mm-hmm. And you have Kiriyama, who is this unreadable, evil sociopath. And that mm-hmm. whole scene is just... Style, oh. It's a stylistic overload. I could watch that scene over... I, I, I swear I'm not psychotic, but I could just watch that scene over and over for the pure art of it. But speaking of Kawada's uh, previous win and how he's portrayed as the anime hero archetype, um, you'll note that in the very, very beginning of the film, we see the uh, so-called previous winner of the um, of the Battle Royale the year before, and it's a little girl holding a creepy little doll uh, with, smeared with blood, and she looks psychotic as heck. Yet she is the previous winner... Like she is the previous winner, but she does, she's not seen as she she's not portrayed as the so-called hero that um, Kawada the, the so-called hero hero treatment that Kawada got, you know? Yeah, because every uh like we were saying, everyone reacts to this game differently. But mm-hmm. what's so amazing about that intro scene is there's like what a tone setter for your movie. Exactly. So like, you have this you have this idea going into it what battle royale is about. It's about kids killing each other, right? Mm-hmm. And so the first thing you see is a news media circus show so first off telling you that people know about this thing this isn't like a secluded event this is news media this is an event this This is something that people don't protest against well we don't see that but at the same time people report on this this is like common knowledge Mm -hmm. and we see the girl who is younger than any of the other uh contestants that we see so this can happen to younger students i think she's the same age she just i think she looks just looks a lot younger because she's carrying a little dolly and has braces because I, I think it's I it's for know. it's for I, third I think... year um middle schoolers factually it is for third year middle schoolers um they choose a third year middle school class for every year so um yeah so she is the same age as the other 42 students that we see but she does look much much younger especially with the way they have given her the problem the little doll and her braces and her um her little like, she has chubby cheeks. She does appear a lot. She looks like Nevada Tan. Nevada Tan. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Yeah, Nevada and, ju- and just so the people know, uh, for a third-year uh, middle school student, what is the average age for that? 15. 15. So, yeah, our 15 rating, 15-year-old characters on screen. Mm-hmm. Can't watch it. <laughs> exactly. Ironic all the way around. Now, what I kind of want to discuss is, like, the taboo topics that the, that the um, movie discusses. And one t- taboo topic in particular that struck out is with me, and I'm sorry, Chris, I gotta talk about it, but do you remember the scene where, oh god, what was her name? Mitsuko and Hirono, and yes, I we've got into this before, and yes, yeah. this, is, this is a great scene. This is a scene that um, I think really struck out to me, especially for an early 2000s film in Japan, where um, Hirono, Hirono's a woman, right? Yes. Okay, so Hirono basically says she uh, found a used tampon in the toilet. She checked Megumi to see if she had her period. Megumi is a uh, body found at the same location that she is confronting Mitsuko. Yes. 
and realize that she does not have her period. Now it must be Mitsuko on her period. And the whole mention of the period and the whole visual cue of, um, with that dialogue alone, you automatically get a vision like, oh my god, she actually checked her for something that kind of nasty and weird. Like, that piece of dialogue alone struck out to me so much. But then... Um, of course, with uh, patriarchy, because every, everything patriarchy, and of course, Japan patriarchy, if you've heard the uh, recent news about the Tokyo Medical School, um, they get into an argument about a boy. <laughs> they get in an... Of course, yeah. Yeah, everybody, everybody, like, has, like, their own little love story going on, and it's all about jealousy and, like, toxic masculinity, but what, um, yeah, what struck me the most here is that uh, a lot of, uh, like, a lot of the female fights mostly had to do with boys. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, because, again, we're just, like, taking a middle school class, uprooting it, and just throwing them into this game. Hormonpalooza! So, uh, exactly, so it's just, it's an outlet for all of these, like, welled-up emotions that they have to just go freely upon each other. Uh, mm -hmm. For example, uh, there's that, Mitsuko and Hirona, and how they finally work out their power dynamic. There's also one of the hardest ones to watch, uh, at least from a male perspective, uh, Chiguza and Nida. <laughs> yes, yes. Now, uh, I'll spare you the um, action of, like, I'll spare you the uh, the uh, pain that you're about to feel when I describe what happens here. Dick stabbing. Uh, yes, dick stabbing, dick, maybe dick slicing, but uh, basically poor Nida gets his manhood. He ain't able to make babies, and he did. Yeah, like, uh, he, well, he, let's not say poor Nita, because he takes this game as an opportunity to finally, uh, well, he, yeah, he wants to manipulate her into sex, and I actually wrote down here the word shoujo. Now, the word shoujo is used, for our subtitles, it was used as the word virgin, which, yes, technically mm -hmm. correct, um, but the word shoujo itself basically just means little girl. It means basically prepubescent little girl. Um, so... The fact that he wants to, like, the fact that he believes that her womanhood is based on being, like, is based on being a virgin, you know, he decides to basically give her some mental gymnastics and um, really try and manipulate her, but she ain't having any of it. No, because like, we were saying, like, this game allows these students uh, to be who they really would be, because now the... The gloves are off. It gives your only chance mm -hmm. to be who you are. And Nita takes it as an opportunity to force himself on someone, to, like, hold that power over a woman. And he wasn't prepared for mm -hmm. Chikusa to defend herself, and it goes very poorly for him. Absolutely. And that's honestly what I'm going, I'm going to say. It. That was one of my favorite scenes because that was such a, I guess female like such a powerful scene for um to see the male who was behaving poorly in this context get his come up and i don't want to say get yeah i don't want to say get what he deserved but he got what well, he I deserved he got what he deserved you don't you don't yeah. do that especially with, even with the circumstance like you can't just throw that mm -hmm. to a girl and say hey no you can't mm -hmm. are you yeah, go on. Arguably, arguably, he is young, and he is taking his social cues from, you know, adults in his life at this point in his life, or, like... And the circumstances. Circumstances and media, so... I 
I do think like this this scene in particular does kind of give a stab at the media that does prefer does prefer the um you know the macho male archetype you know the one that gets the woman and has the sex exactly but this whole scene is wonderfully shot too it's pretty much all in one unbroken handheld take of their struggle together and then eventually uh, Chiguza gets the upper hand several slashes uh to the back throat and genitals and (laughs) And then after all that, after she's, like, living in what she did, like, realizing the actions she just pulled against, the camera rack, fo- rack focuses out, and we see Mitsuko in Mitsuko, the background. Oh yeah. Who has been witnessing this whole thing, gives her trademark devilish smile, and then just guns down Chiguza. Like, this is, this is a completely unhinged game that we're taking part in. Now, was Kill Bill released before or after this? Was what? Kill Bill released before or after this? After after okay we should we should also get into that i guess uh Mm -hmm. tarantino talked this movie up big time he's probably the reason i don't want to give it all to him but he's probably the reason why you can find like a copy of battle royale at uh a sunrise records here yeah but um yeah his basic his basically his promotion and his um influence like you could see it all throughout kill bill it's very obvious that mitsuko um was the basis for what's her face chris what's her face uh the schoolgirl. yeah or or oren rishi oren ishi which one are you talking about the one with the sword that's oren ishi uh, she, uh the schoolgirl character has the uh ball and chain yes okay so yeah or Ishii, because i have not seen kill bill but um you know what? You're you're fine. Like yeah. it's a great movie, but no one's like twisting your arm here. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I I'm very far behind with a uh, very important popular culture, but yeah, like I I do think that the um I guess the combination with the Kill Bill um is it a trilogy now? <laughs> no, it was just two films. It was just two films. Okay, so the combination of the uh, Kill Bill movies kind of pair go really hand in hand with Battle Royale. Um, with the femme fatale character and the Japanese schoolgirl, um, violent ja- little Japanese schoolgirl archetype there. Also, uh, do you want your uh, mind blown right now? Uh, ooh, let's hear this. Uh, the actress <laughs> who played uh, Takao Chiguza, uh, Shiaki Kuriyama. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, she's, oh my, okay, yes. There you go, yeah. Yes, okay. She she played, uh, <sighs> she played Gogo, that's the character's name, in uh, Kill Bill Volume 1. Ah, yes, 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 I am, yeah. Hats off to her, you know? Yeah, she she got a brief, she Mm -hmm. got an iconic role in the West, so she's fine. Mm -hmm. And yeah, Tarantino, like, I'm frustrated with him a lot because of his culture vulturing that he constantly does. But he, he talked a big game when it came to Battle Royale. He really held it up on a, on like a flagpole and said, you should really be checking this movie out. Yeah. (laughs) Mm-hmm. It's, and it's also what I like about this film. Uh, I don't know about you, but this was the first time I ever saw that uh, very Japanese touch of the blood fountain yes, from a the, wound. Are you talking about when uh, Nobu was slashed? There's uh, that. There's uh, when Mitsuko uh, slashes uh, Noriko's best friend. Uh, there is Megumi. Uh, Megumi. There is when uh, Shogo Kawada blasts Kuriyama's uh, necklace off and it like detonates. They, mm-hmm. like, J- 
just that effect of like a fountain of blood erupting from a wound that was this mm-hmm. is the first time i've ever seen that in any media really yeah, back when i watched this in 2004 like that was completely foreign to me like that you watched that... this in 2004 you were you you were 10 were you not oh yeah i guess it wasn't it was i was 12 so it was 2006 then oh my lord like you, you find this i found it uh, a copy of it uh and i just could not believe what i was witnessing i mean you of all people i would be um most not like i'm not surprised that you watch it but at the same time i feel like you could handle it better at 12 whereas i would probably have vomited i side note uh fun fact uh i have physically vomited at um a scene in a movie that chris has suggested so uh oh we don't need to get into that yeah congratulations chris you know that that was a korean film this is not a korean film podcast i mean you know but that that just gives you a um a look at what kind of human Chris is. <laughs> that movie, by the way, uh, listener, was I Saw the Devil, and it is an amazing movie that you should all watch. And maybe skip a certain scene. so that Or you watch that vomit. scene completely, because it's a good movie. <laughs> no. You're not going to win this. <laughs> no. <laughs> Mint, where are you? <laughs> okay. Uh, so <laughs> I, I also wanted to get into this little tidbit, uh, going back to Fukusaka's career. Mm-hmm. Uh, What's interesting about this film is, like I, like I said before, it's the like apotheosis of his career, and it's actually like him letting out this internalized frustration he has with the government, which has been uh, represented throughout his entire filmography. But here it is at its most potent because this idea of watching your friends die that is mm-hmm. taken from real life from his like personal experience. Was he drafted to the war, or...? No, uh, during the last year of the war, he worked at a munitions factory that was bombed by the uh, United States. Oh. And he he's claimed in interviews that he literally had to hide under his friends' bodies in order to survive. Oh, so, my goodness. So that frustration, like, towards a government who had let that happen, has mm-hmm. been constantly represented throughout his entire... Like, every film that like, is slightly critical of the government. But here it is at its most explicit, at its most like aggressive and at its most uh i'd say potent because it's through the eyes of what he was like at that age way back when mm-hmm. so yeah like uh it was a point that i made uh like in a review i in uh an essay i wrote for, about this movie actually back in university is that like he's mm-hmm. essentially dramatizing his own radicalization like this is where all that yeah. frustration c- comes like from his films uh, like all directed at like an ineffectual government who was trying to reconstruct Japan after the uh, atomic bomb drops. Right. So this is like him showing, going back to that uh, young man that he once was who saw the failures of his own government and just putting it for a new generation, like a swan song essentially, because it's the last film, just saying like, this is my message to the youth of the world. Be vigilant, be angry, and be -hmm. strong. Because we the government is not going to be friendly to you or understand your perspective exactly exactly and like one of the things that really struck out to me is that in the beginning i was actually wondering is this a youth problem are they actually going to be emphasizing the youth problem the same way they did with the japanese nouvelle vague uh uh, trend or era of um japanese film because you know with stories like cruel uh what was it cruel story of youth cruel story of youth crazed fruit you know it really emphasized the youth problem and i was wondering will like 
especially having now be detached from the book at the very beginning i was like is this going to be um back to those those crazy youth those annoying crazy youth kind of problem but then as the story progresses you especially when you get like an individual psychological uh feel for all of the characters and their own way like their own mechanism mechanisms of coping which really essentially humanizes every single character involved and like, real... I, like i said yeah you you feel every death it all matters mm -hmm. like these aren't just uh bodies they are people they have names they have numbers they're mm -hmm. it matters yeah yeah and like it, it also prompts me to act like to ask questions that i never would have been able to ask like should i have been in that situation would i have killed my friend with the um what was that uh psychological experiment where with the prisoners and the guards and they um do you know do you know about that psychological experiment uh, yeah like I forget the actual name, like Stafford or Stanford prison Stan experiment. Yeah, st yeah, the Stanford prison experiment where the where uh, a couple of people were designated as the guards and then a couple of people were designated as the prisoners. And because those people that were the guards were able to use their authority any way they wanted, the prisoners in return retaliated and it caused a bunch of uh, deaths and basically the experiment itself was kind of nasty. But... It also prompts you to realize, like, had I been in this situation, would I have been able to rebel against the authority, or would I have been able, or would I have been cowardly, so to say, or not even cowardly, would I have been able to shoot my friend for the sake of my own uh, survival? And I even, it was one of my thoughts when I was reading the book in the beginning as well, should I and my sisters have been on this island, what would I have done? It's a very hard question to grapple with, especially like yeah. this is uh that's the essence of a lot of Fukusaka films is this idea of conflict between an isolated group of characters under a pressure imposed from outside, like a completely artificial pressure that shouldn't be thrust onto them, but is nonetheless. And that that's a really fun experiment to think about. Like, how would I do if this were happened to my class at 15? I'd, <laughs> I'd personally go down like a bitch, but <laughs> yeah, at yeah, at 15 years old, but also like. You, you think of your you also think of your life at 15 as well like at 15 you know I was at maybe the peak, peak of my friendships I guess so to say I wasn't as bullied as I was maybe in previous years um what so would I have been able to like put that aside you know would I have been able to um still confront my bullies you know it brings all that like psychological trauma or anything so to say from middle school back to you and it kind of puts you in a place where you think about your own existence in relation to everybody else's existence does my existence mat matter to me more than the existence of the people in my life who make me me that's why it's it was so important for Fukusaga to say like kids should be watching this film because they need to know like if given the similar circumstances what were their priorities be and again just going back to how great yes how well <laughs> this movie is written we see like the gambit of like the complete deck of how all these different uh, characters deal with it uh, we have for example Shinji who takes it upon himself and like his radical uh, grandfather to try and overthrow the game and build a bomb and hack the government but then we have like people like uh hiroki who just wants to confess his love to his to the girl he likes and, like and, and we just see like 
on both poles like mm -hmm. how we can all go about this game differently some people find it as a way to work through their traumatic backstory like mitsuko mm -hmm. who just unleashes it on the world or mm -hmm. shuya who internalizes it and tries to protect someone i also want to like um go into a bit of like the essence of Japanese nostalgia and how they um, kind of internalize their own nostalgia as adults. Because um, the concept of se uh, seishun, or youth, is something that's uh, really looked back upon um, for Japanese adults as like a time of pure bliss. Um, we see that like pure bliss kind of feeling in the bus when they're all exchanging cookies and, you know, having playing little clapping games and stuff like that. Like this, and this is this is a moment they'll never have again. Exactly. And um, it kind of like, um, if anything, when they see their own seishun attacked, their own youth attacked in this way, you know, that's where the Japanese adult, so to say, has their own psychological questions to ask as well, you know? This, it's the failure of uh, the adult class to take care of the youth. This, like, it, again, going back to uh, Fukusaka in that munitions factory, that's what that's the exact idea that he was talking about. Like, my youth, my like, like this has corrupted me. Like, yes. I, I have now have an enemy in the form of the government, which I once assumed protected me. Absolutely. And one, I think we're doing pretty well on time, but one last thing I want to talk about. Can we talk about how, icon how iconic this soundtrack is? Yes, uh, the theme to this song that hits you right away, it, it completely sets the tone perfectly. It is a thumping classical uh, chor chorale, and yeah, you just, you, you feel the urge mm -hmm. going into this movie. And like, that theme song is used in quite a lot... It's actually used in a lot of uh, Japanese variety shows, and honestly, nowadays, I've seen it, like, be used for, like, very comical instances, actually. Um, one example is uh, back around, actually around the same time Battle Royale was released, so when Morning Musume uh, was on a TV show, uh, basically one of the smaller members got, like, picked up by a large man, and they were using that uh, theme song as he was approaching her. So, um, like, the, the themes, like, but here's the thing, when I was watching the film, even after all this Morning Miss Miss stuff, after, and detaching myself from the book, that theme song, I forgot it was used in comical instances. Yeah, and that's, a uh, by the way, the theme song is going to be closing out this episode, so. Oh, hell yes! And that song, by the way, is Requiem Dias Irae by Giuseppe Verde, conducted by Masamichi Amano. Okay, I, ho I hope that people understood that. <laughs> we good, we good. Yeah, it's a, it's yeah, a well-known track. Okay, I kind of want to download it now. Yeah, I mean, it's probably on Spotify under like some uh, conductor's personal okay. page. It'll get you hyped up. It'll either get you hyped up for your exam or give you extreme anxiety about it. Like I, I'm gonna put this on my like running playlist. Cause, like, cause why not? It, oh it, hell yes! Just imagine Kuriyami is chasing me with a submachine gun. <laughs> yes, yes, Chris. Actually, that is fantastic motivation for me to run. I ran this morning and I did not have that. So. <laughs> exactly. You could go farther, faster, and. Marathon, bitches. <laughs> Oh, and just uh, one, just one final note uh, about the film's release. Obviously, there was a huge attempt to ban the film 
uh, fearing the effects of the film's abundant violence would have on impressionable young minds. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, this, obviously this film is not encouraging kids to do this. It's a very negative portrayal of this idea, of this concept. Yes, and that goes back into the whole violent video games kind of argument where is it the video games that are making the kids, like, are these school shootings happening because of video games? No. Like, spoiler, no. No, yeah, but, like, we, that's been going on forever, that whole uh, discourse yeah. since uh, Columbine brought it to the forefront. Mm-hmm. Uh, but speaking of Speaking video, of video games, yeah, like, yes, you, you know exactly you. where I was going with that. Um, so I don't like the talk to the young people who are assumed to be listening to us because we are above the age of the average podcast listener now are we that's a sobering thought yeah but it's true oh okay i don't listen to podcasts unless there's celebrities on them so more than likely i'm probably not going to listen to this one but uh anyways go on (laughs) yeah uh, for a lot of young people like the the idea of battle royale just to show how influential this film actually is uh, the current trend in video games of battle royale games, where it's a group, a o- massive online multiplayer of a group of people dropped into a isolated environments and told to kill one another. With a, with danger zones. The exactly. storms coming in, yeah. Like, there's no evidence, like, that's the original, like, battle royale game, because it's obviously a well-known genre that you could trace back to who God knows how long ago. But <laughs> the influence of Battle Royale is so felt that people just assume or just credit Battle Royale. It's like, yeah, that's where we got the idea for the game. Or that's where they must have got the idea from the game. I saw yeah. I saw something that frustrated me so bad over the weekend. It just, I saw a copy of Battle Royale, the novel, sitting in a bookstore. And it says, now read the novel that inspired the game Fortnite. Uh... Like, <laughs> Takami doesn't need well, that he hasn't written another thing since battle royale but at the same time he did fine he, the, that book sells itself it does it, it it's a masterpiece on its own guys don't read it for the Fortnite. i don't see you sla- i don't i don't see you slapping that advertisement on hunger games shuya's not aiming for number one victory royale guys just he just, wants to survive get off the island and well eventually protect he and protect his girl his best friend's girl his best friend's girl, who now has become his girl. Because that's how it works. Yeah. <laughs> Slap in the bro code in the face. <laughs> There's no bro code. Don't... There. Oh, there isn't? No. We we, we should have told you that. Uh, men should have really put out a press release or something. The, the bro code doesn't exist. That was how you met your mother, how I met your mother, like, propagandizing it. Well, there goes my um, very inappropriate fantasies. Uh, so... Um, I guess, if anything, do you think that wraps everything up that we wanted to say? Yeah, I think I've, I'm well covered. Uh, do you have anything else you want to put in about Battle Royale before we sign off? About Battle Royale? Uh, <laughs> uh, watch the movie. Yeah, watch the movie. Honestly, find a copy of this. It's it's not hard. Thank you, Quentin Tarantino, I guess. Because mm-hmm. uh, you really should experience this. It, I, it's not hyperbole to say that it's one of the best teen films of all mm-hmm. time. I will say, as somebody who is squeamish, as somebody who does, like, um, I do vomit at the sight of blood, unnatural blood, um, I, it's something where I was able to actually appreciate the art of the, like, of of the kill scenes rather than, um, 
feeling myself like feeling my insides twist around because of the sight of blood exactly the idea yeah. like the concept uh shocks you well before any of the violence on mm-hmm. screen does it's, and it's, you're prepared yeah it's very stylized violence anyway mm-hmm. you're very well prepared and you know what we actually have not revealed the ending so uh see who wins guys yeah i, I mean i guess uh, i i won't obviously spoil it uh but we just so you know in the future we are a spoiler cast we yeah. will we will talk about endings if they are significant the ending if is they are, yeah. the ending for this one is significant but it's really much much more like a sequel setup than anything right that sequel that i'm supposed to be watching soon and it's it, it's good as a sta- uh, chris said it's good as a standalone film on its own uh the sequel i mean so i mean you, you have a case where uh the original director shot one scene with uh Takeshi Kitano, then died and then his son who was like again the original script writer uh, mm-hmm. got the, his first directorial job and it's very much a amateur directorial job it's like a, a debut through and through uh but at the same time it's it's fine it's it's not yeah it's not going to set the world on fire like battle royale did at the same time though it's not supposed to it's it's a very it's its own thing it's it has nothing to do with like the actual chronology of the book or any of the ideas in there it's its own little thing and it's fine but you don't have to actually watch it no, that's we, we won't. True. We won't we be will... covering it on the podcast. We will not be covering it on the podcast. Not yet, at least, and not maybe not for a very long time. But I hope we have more content than instantly no. going to a sequel. We won't. We like we will have more content, but should should we be doing this maybe for who knows how long? Maybe I would say a year. You know, it would be nice to revisit it. How about like a anniversary special? Like, absolutely see, if, if we get there i mean if we yeah, get like, there planning we'll... ahead isn't bad but like just thinking like yeah see how far we came from that original enthusiastic thing when before this becomes a job for us exactly and uh is this where i offer to take my top off or no they can't see that arupa we've been over this well too late my top is off well great because <laughs> I, I can't even see that it's, it's a skype call without any picture so <laughs> so that's gonna wrap it up from us here at Eigen Knight. Make sure to follow us on all the things. Twitter at Eigen Knight. Uh, Facebook. At Knight. Eigen Knight. I'm sorry. Uh, Facebook. Eigen uh, Knight Podcast. Uh, you can find our WordPress where we're going to be uploading all the episodes. EganKnightPodcast.wordpress.com. And yeah, that's going to do it for us. Well, for- follow us on Twitter for any updates on all of our content. And. Really, thank you for listening, because I probably would not have listened. Well, that's that's a bit harsh. <laughs> but yes, I, and, and if, I, I am at Cinema Creep on Twitter. Aruba, you're in the middle of putting up a new Twitter account. I am, yep. Without further ado, thank you so, so much, everybody, for actually listening to this. And thank you, Chris, for setting this up. No problem. And hey, everyone at home, take care. All right, see you later, guys. Bye. <laughs>